If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg, and friends, Today on the podcast, we are going to be hosting Divya O'Connor, and she and I are going to be talking about when your founding executive director transitions out of your organization. Because my friends, let's face it, that transition from a founding executive director to an outside CEO or chief executive is often a difficult one for nonprofit organizations. And let me just say, I should not minimize that it's also hard for the people that are involved. It's often um, gut-wrenching for the founder who might be stepping down or exiting. And it's really, really hard for the person who comes in as well as the board who suddenly has to get adjusted to a very different way of leadership and a very different way of working. Now, this is why I invited Divya to come on the podcast. She has been a chief executive and an interim chief executive multiple times. She is currently the interim chief executive at Girls Network in London. And so I know that she and I are going to be having some really great conversations around what these transitions look like. She's done this a lot of times, as have I. And let me just say, like many of us who are multiple-time chief executives and interim chief executives, she has a unique vantage point on CEO transitions. Hey, Divya, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dolph. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming. And I know we were going to start our conversation today by talking about some thoughts that you gleaned from the Skoll World Forum, especially around an ecosystem event. But before we do that, one of the things that I realized, I know I know you're UK-based, and so the Skoll World Forum might be better known in your part of the world than it is in the U.S. So could you say a little bit about what that is? Absolutely. The Skoll Foundation is actually an international foundation. It was created by Jeff Skoll, and it is focused on enabling transformational social change by investing in 
connecting and supporting social entrepreneurs and innovators who are seeking to advance the world's most pressing problems in an international development context. So they have an annual meeting where they bring together their fellows, their members, their grantees. And this year, the Skoll World Forum took place in Oxford, England. Uh, and I had the privilege of being there. And, and as you said, I attended a really interesting ecosystem event that was hosted by, strangely enough, an executive search firm called Oxford HR on founder CEO transitions. And there were lots of founders in the room. Uh, and what was really fascinating, the two organizations that were showcased in the panel of speakers were the organization called Peace, which is promoting equality in African schools, and an organization called STIR Education. Uh, and STIR stands for Schools and Teachers Innovating for Results. And Dolph, what was really unique was they had on the panel at this uh, Skoll ecosystem event, the founders... CEOs of both of these organizations, the successor CEOs of both of the organizations, the chairs of both of the organizations, and in actually Stir Education's case, the founder chair as well. And there were some really fascinating uh, conversations and insights that were really focused on how do you de-risk this transition when a founder steps away? And so before we talk about how to de-risk it, can we talk about what some of those risks are? Because I know you've seen that and I've seen that as well. I know one of the risks that I've often seen is the founder steps away, but not really. <laughs> yes, uh, in, indeed. Uh, the founder syndrome. Yes, that that's absolutely a risk. Uh, and so the, the question I think, Dolph, for any CEO stepping into uh, the shoes of a founder in an organization is how do you navigate a founder-led organization where you are respecting the legacy of the founder and everything that they have created and also create your own space in order to move the organization forward. And I think that is really the crux of the challenge, you know, and how does the organization actually leverage the really unique star power in some cases of a founder in terms of their networks, you know, they're being an absolutely strong advocate for the organization and having clarity around that, what is the role of the founder once they've stepped out of their CEO role um, is really important. Mm -hmm. I will say absolutely. If we can talk though about some of those risks, because I, I know I know that I mentioned um, always there's the possibility that the founder does not really step away. They're like, oh, I'm going to join the board, which I think you and I are probably in agreement on. Not the best thing to have happen as soon as the founder leaves. Uh, yes. Although interestingly, Dolph, I had on my own uh, podcast, the Charity CEO podcast. Um, Ella Goodwin, who is the CEO of the nonprofit called Vision Spring. Uh, and Ella took over from the founder of Vision Spring, a gentleman called Jordan Casalo. And Jordan really founded um, the organization based on his knowledge and insights of being an optometrist and, and bringing his medical and scientific insight. And he then stepped onto the board to really function as that technical specialist. And what Ella shared on this episode was that they were very intentional about having conversations actually before she joined the organization to have clarity around, you know, what would be her remit coming in as the new chief executive and what would Jordan's remit be uh, as the founder and that seemed to work for them in terms of having that clarity up front. Um, but I personally am a bit more with you, Dolph. I think it's a it's a little bit of a, a tricky situation to navigate. Uh, and sometimes a clean break um, it may be best for all parties involved. And so it sounds like they negotiated some boundaries. What were their boundaries? 
Number one, what she shared was that the role that he would fulfill was really having that technical medical scientific perspective uh, and bringing his knowledge from the scientific community into the work and into the strategy for the organization. So that was very clear. And he, I understand, also continued to serve um, as a spokesperson, sort of at various speaking events and, and leading initially on some of the, the fundraising as well, whereas her focus was really on operations, looking to develop the new strategy for the organization. They were seeking to reach 10 million users or, or customers and, and looking at uh, essentially how to create uh, the path to that 10 million. Got it. And how long did the founding director stay involved? I believe he is still on the board, wow. if I'm not wrong. Okay. So a couple of years, few years on. Okay. Wow. Very nice. Very nice. One of the other things I wanted to make sure we talked about was changes in the board itself, because I know oftentimes a founding board looks really different from a board that um, maybe is ready to fully support and lead an organization that, that has an outside chief executive. Yes, absolutely. And this also talks to one of the the insights that came up at the the Skull ecosystem event, which is around governance and board readiness. Um, So as you've alluded to, where you have a startup uh, and a founding board, that board is most likely formed of the founders, friends and family, perhaps some early donors and supporters. And it is really critical that the board ensure that they are ready for this transition from the perspective of their own skills, their own effectiveness, because the board needs to provide the scaffolding for the successor CEO to be able to step into the role and actually be successful in that transition. And their capacity and ability to discharge their governance responsibilities, which, as you know, is all around the legal and fiduciary administration of the organization, is absolutely critical. And in my experience, where things tend to go wrong is where you sometimes have a founder who is sometimes the glue that holds everything together. And when they step away, things start to unravel uh, and perhaps the board didn't have sufficient visibility around certain areas as they should have done and issues bubble up to the surface uh, and that causes problems. Yeah. I will also say, Divya, I mean, in my experience, not just with founders, whenever anything goes horribly cataclysmically wrong, i.e. threatens their survival of an organization, it's almost always a governance issue. <laughs> In, indeed, good governance practices can can save so much. Um, and I will also add here, Dolph, my own personal perspective. Uh, as you kindly said at the beginning, I am currently the interim chief executive of an organization called The Girls Network. I have taken over from the founder or the co-founder who stepped away um, towards the end of last year. And the board have actually been really thoughtful around what they want this transition to look like. Um, They're quite a small board, so they were very conscious of their own um, capacity. And very early on in my tenure, we agreed that the best thing for the organization would be for me to actually stay in post as interim chief executive for a year That would really give the organization some stability. I have facilitated a governance review and I'm looking to recruit one or two new members to the board, um, perhaps later this year. Um, I've looked into the the closets and dusty corners and, you know, dusted out the skeletons and gotten certain processes and structures in place and essentially cleared the runway. So when the permanent chief executive takes over later this year, they have that clear runway to then 
dig into some of the the critical questions around impact and strategic directions of the future of the organization. I'm glad you went where you just did, because one of the things I was hoping we would also talk about, and I, I started this part of the conversation also acknowledging that, gosh, you know, when, when you're a carpenter, every problem is resolved using a hammer and some screwdrivers. So I, I get that as well. But, you know, you and I both do interns professionally, and so I, I recognize we have some bias there. But I also feel pretty strongly like whenever an organization is looking at moving away from a founding chief executive, it's really essential they bring an interim in. Yes. And this comes back to, again, if I can share it, one of the insights that came up at the Skoll event, which is around timing is critical and that goes hand in hand with communications. And timing from two perspectives here, Dolph, one from the organization's lens. So can the transition happen at a time where it's not going to jeopardize certain critical milestones that the organization may have in place in terms of strategy development or funding or programs. And number two, from the individual's perspective, once the founder CEO or the founder has essentially fired that gun and declared that their intention to step away and leave the organization, it is in the organization's best interest to start planning that transition as soon as possible. So at the Skoll event, uh, the founder of Pease actually shared that he announced his departure from the organization 18 months ahead of actually exiting. And he shared that that was really too long to have had the whole organization in that state of flux, if you like. Divya, I, I, I once as a permanent executive director, found myself in a, in a very similar place. And I know I've shared this on the podcast. The last time I was a permanent executive director, I, uh, I was ready to leave. And I was planning to take some time off between this job and my next job. And so I looked at my contract and my contract said, okay, I had to get three months notice. So I, I told my board, it's going to give them three months notice. And they came back and they said, how about 18 months? I was like, no, 18 months is too long. And we negotiated and we settled on 10 months. And you know, 10 months was too long. Really, for, for 10 months, I was I was a lame duck executive director. Like, there are things you can wrap up and get done in a month or two or three, but much longer than that, and it's not productive for anybody. Indeed. And I think the other thing to bear in mind is the impact on the people and the culture of an organization. And I think it's really important that colleagues and staff are given the space to grieve. And it sounds a little bit odd, but essentially you need to focus on how people feel. Oftentimes in founder-led organizations, the people who are around the founder have joined because they passionately believe in, in the organization, the cause. There's something about that founder perhaps that's really inspired them or, or they really admire. And when they know that founder is leaving, it causes anxiety, it causes uncertainty. And what we really need to prevent is for there to be basically an outflow and that people start leaving in droves because then a lot of institutional knowledge will essentially leave the organization during that critical juncture. And it makes it really hard then for a successor CEO to come in uh, and navigate what is already quite a tricky transition. And, and coming back to the board's role, the board, again, has a really critical role to play here in terms of smoothening that communication piece and, and making sure that everybody in the organization understands the process and what's happening. So again, communication is so important through this process. And so let's talk about the board's role in communicating that. Yes. Uh, so Ultimately, the board is responsible for the appointment of a chief executive of an organization. Um, so that is, as you would know and your listeners will know, uh, is absolutely critical. And 
At the ecosystem event, the the founding chair of Stir Education sort of spoke to this, and he said that he essentially was very clear with the successor CEO coming in that they had the ability to look under the bonnet of the organization and fix what needed to be fixed. So essentially saying, you know, we've got a great thing here, but tell us what we could do to be even greater, to have even more impact. Uh, and it is the the board's role to, to have that continuity. Uh, and as I said earlier, to have that scaffolding. And another discussion point that came up during the, the Skull event is around the potential to provide financial transition support during this period. So that's both for the incoming chief executive in the form of perhaps executive coaching support or a pot of money for their own professional development, but also for the outgoing founder CEO. Uh, And this may be quite unusual, but for the board to consider perhaps providing an exit payment to give that founder just some breathing space to consider what their next steps might be. And also just to say thank you and recognize their efforts in bringing the organization to where it currently is. I'm so glad you brought that up. And it's interesting. I I'm actually was recently having that conversation with a former client. They, you know, we were talking about the exit of an executive director. And it's like, yeah, you know, it, it's a nice thing to give that executive director a month, maybe a little more of of compensation as as a thank you. But also, you know, it it also helps kind of smooth over the transition for everybody. It it ensures even more cooperation and collaboration and goodwill, which which really, I mean, you can't buy goodwill from your outgoing chief executive. You can't, but it certainly helps with it. Absolutely. And those participants at the event whose organizations had done this actually spoke of the transition in really, really glowing terms. And it spoke directly to the success of that transition as well. I will also share with you one of the things that I've started to recommend to a lot of my clients is that they consider retention bonuses for all of their key staff. So, you know, if you think about key staff, I often think of key staff as like the staff member or members, plural, I should say, that report to your chief executive. And I will also say I was once in that boat where I was the development director. I was reporting to the chief executive. I think the year was like 1999 or 2000 or something like that. And my chief executive gave notice. And suddenly I just felt like the carpet was ripped out from underneath me. I was like, wow, you know, I've really liked working with her. She's been a good boss. I don't know who the next person's going to be. I will also say um, as an out gay person, um, I also was a little nervous. It's like, I, you know, I, because it, this was, this was at a, this was in a Catholic organization. So I was also a little nervous because I was like, you know, I, I don't know how the next chief executive is going to feel about me as a human being. And it's part of what ultimately contributed to, to me leaving, honestly, um, you know, was was me looking at that and going, yeah, you know, I suddenly I don't feel safe and secure as I used to feel. And so I often nowadays suggest that for those key staff that report to the chief executive, that you offer a retention bonus. And how I'll often kind of think about that is, you know, you get you get half of it at the end of the interim period. So, you know, so when the new chief executive starts and then you get the other half and I think it's up to the board to figure out what this looks like. Six months to a year after the new permanent or long-term executive director starts. So that way, it is kind of a good faith on the part of the organization saying, yeah, you know, we we want you to be here. We believe you're going to be here and we're willing to invest in it. I've also said 
to my clients. The flip side of that is, you know, let's say a new executive director comes in or an interim comes in and says, I'm going to restructure and eliminate someone's position. Well, now you've also budgeted money, frankly, to to be able to give them some severance, to be able to say, yeah, you know, your position is just being eliminated. This isn't personal. And, you know, we were going to get this to you as a retention bonus, but now it's severance. So I I thought I'd throw that in there real quick. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think it really speaks to the capacity of boards to really be progressive in their thinking and think longer term for the organization's stability and sustainability. Because if you have a lot of key roles suddenly becoming vacant, then actually a lot of money is spent on just recruiting and onboarding. And, you know, that money could be spent in different ways. Yeah. And I will also say, I mean, for me, you know, from an equity perspective, Divya, gosh, I spent much of the last, even as a consultant, because I've been doing so many interims, much of the last 20 years as an executive director. Uh, but but I think I think from an equity perspective, so often we're like, oh, yeah, you know, the executive director, you know, should get some kind of a, a severance or payout, even if they quit. Oh, yeah, the executive director should get a sabbatical. And then we don't think about all the other staff in the organization. And so that's also why I often think about this from an equity standpoint, like, hey, you know, if the board is going to say, yeah, you know, we should be providing financial reward to people, we should be thinking about how we do it throughout the organization. And to that point, I think, you know, while the retention bonuses might not be as generous, you know, to give all staff some some amount of financial incentive to stay, it, it, regardless of who you are in an organization, when your executive director leaves, you're going to experience transition and you're going to experience some level of uncertainty. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. From an equity perspective, that makes a lot of sense. And so I, I know we were also going to have a little bit of a little bit of a conversation about maybe a board sometime behaving badly. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. What would you like to to ask about that? Let's really continue to focus on on the the founder chief executive exiting. What are some things that boards shouldn't be doing when they're looking at at their founder chief executive leaving? Besides, obviously, what we've already talked about, which is, hey, don't announce this eighteen months in advance. Even if the chief executive comes to you and says that, be like, okay, we're going to hold this under wraps until about three months. <laughs> yes. So communication is key. And and I think just honesty uh, and transparency uh, around that communication um, is also really important. So one of the things, for example, that I've done um, as an interim in my current role is really brought the executive team and the board together. So having the senior leadership team present in board meetings and really bringing that communication piece much closer together so that there is consensus across both the board and the senior team during this critical junction. And I think that visibility and transparency piece um, is is really quite important. I think in a broader context, uh, again, I, I spoke about this at the beginning of our conversation, The board really needs to have visibility and oversight um, around some of the the critical issues in the organization. Um, And I'll I'll perhaps talk a little bit, Dov, in in terms of the process that I use when stepping into uh, a chief exec role, whether that's as an interim or um, indeed as a a permanent chief exec. Um, One of the things I do very intentionally is diarize one-to-one meetings during my first month or two with all of the board members, certainly all of the senior team. Um, And depending on how many staff there are uh, across the broader organization, perhaps with more junior colleagues in in groups of, of three or four. And I have a set of questions and I ask all of them the same questions. So for example, 
what are the things that are good or great about the organization and should be retained or protected? What are the challenges or pain points? And what are your thoughts on how those can be improved? And the third question I like to ask, because I think this gives me some brilliant insight, is what analogy would you use to describe the organization? And what this provides is a whole variety of insights and perspectives of how people view their organization from the lens of their own stakeholder cohort, if you like. Um, so I've had everything from, um, in terms of analogies, from the organization that is like a warm hug to it's like that ship that was stuck in the Suez Canal and really difficult to turn um, to a board member saying that it feels like we are constantly putting out forest fires and chopping down trees, but we are in the wrong forest. And so all of those insights and perspective for a new CEO stepping into post are actually absolutely critical to be able to put their arms around what is really going on. And I think sometimes where the boards don't have that visibility and depth or, of oversight around what the problems are, that's perhaps where you could argue they're not fully fulfilling their duties and responsibilities. And again, so when the new chief exec steps in, they've been told by the board, yes, all, everything's hunky-dory, uh, and then they just step in and there's an explosion of things that they need to deal with on day one. It's interesting. I, I do something similar. The other thing I do as I'm exiting is I schedule those meetings for the incoming chief executive. And, and I'll share with you, um, I've actually had some chief executives say to me that, and I also put together a playbook, but that and the playbook are the two most valuable things I've done for them during the interim period, which is funny because like, you know, as you know, with interim, so often you're fixing a lot of things and you, th and you think to yourself, wow, that means I probably did a good job because you didn't know everything that I fixed. So that's really good. But yeah, so, so I do something similar where I, I schedule those meetings for them. So that way they're not coming in on their first day set thinking to themselves, well, who should I meet with? And also, frankly, so that way, you know, in their first week or so, obviously the people, the people with the biggest complaints are going to come find them anyway, but at least those are not the first people they're talking to. The first people they're talking to, it's intentional. Your board members, your key staff members, your funders, your organizational partners, your civic leaders, et cetera. Absolutely. And the other thing I would say to that, Dolph, um, is that it also helps understand where, particularly on the board, board members may not have consensus. And again, if the board members don't have consensus around certain key elements like the strategic direction of the organization, it is really the chair's role to corral the board and galvanize them to work as a cohesive unit. And sometimes you do find situations where um, you know, everybody has an ego uh, and sometimes those egos come to fore. And I firmly believe it is always the mission of the organization that should be front and center and the purpose driven work. Uh, and if everybody can come back to that, actually, we will be able to resolve any issues that come in the way. Oh, I, I like that a lot, Divya. And that's a good place for us to lay down this part of our conversation, because I have one final question that's going to take us off the map. So, Divya, I know that you have a podcast. It's the Charity CEO Podcast. And one of the things that I learned that I was kind of um, astounded by is that you started a podcast before becoming a podcast listener. And that's not the journey most of us who are podcasters have taken. Most of us listen for a long time and eventually we started one. Tell me about your journey. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Let me step back and give you and your listeners a bit of context here. So 
I was pregnant with my second child during my first charity chief executive role. And just before I had my daughter, I decided for personal reasons to step out of that chief exec uh, role uh, and take some time out um, and essentially be on a maternity break. I had my daughter and a couple of months later, COVID hit and the whole world turned upside down. And so I found myself in this situation where I was still actively connected to many of my fellow CEOs and peers. I was a member of the Association of Chief Executives of Voluntary Organizations. So I was very much part of the conversation. And I saw many leaders across the sector uh, really dealing with this unprecedented turbulence of fundraising going off a cliff because charity shops were closed, events couldn't happen in person, and the demand for services absolutely went through the roof. I think pro bono economics uh, in the UK Uh, estimated that in 2020, the funding gap across the nonprofit sector was over £10 billion. And that was from a drop in income that charities were able to raise, as well as an increase in demand in services. So there I was sort of sitting on the sidelines and really wanted to be able to shine a spotlight on some of the great work that I knew was happening because I was part of WhatsApp groups. I could see what leaders were doing. And my husband was the one who suggested it to me because he comes from a digital media uh, background. He's an entrepreneur in that space. And he said, oh, you should launch a podcast um, and thereby you will be able to shine a spotlight on some of this great work. So once I decided that, okay, yes, I should look into that. I then did do a lot of research. I listened to a lot of podcasts. I spoke to people I knew who had their own shows and thought quite carefully around the structure of the show and what I wanted, what I called the beating heart of the show to be. So what was I able to bring that was relevant uh, and that was distinct from other shows that were out there and that could genuinely add value to the, the charity sector? And for me, Dolph, that was all about having real conversations with leaders in the charity and nonprofit sector that genuinely got beneath the surface of issues and that seek to inspire and inform listeners in a way that was both pragmatic and had practical benefits so that listeners could come away from listening to the conversations, feeling uplifted and also having a a new perspective or new idea or insight that they could then take back to their lives or to their own organizations to help solve the problems that they were facing. Well, Divya, thank you so much for sharing the founding story of your podcast. And I'm I'm really grateful that that you did start the podcast. The nonprofit sector um, needs good, strong podcasts. And and I one of the things that I often talk about is like I kind of view the podcast space as a really unique entrepreneurial space. And so there is a podcast out there for everybody. And I am very, very glad that you started yours. Thank you. Thank you so much, Divya, for coming on. And I always want to make sure that our listeners know how they can find out more. And so here's how they can. They can go to charityceo.com. That is the website for Divya's podcast. And at the charityceo.com, you can listen to, and also, of course, on your phone, you could just uh, subscribe to the Charity CEO podcast. It is a UK-based podcast that aims to inspire, inform, and deliver practical insights on the challenges facing non nonprofit leaders today. Divya, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Dolph. And I also will share with you another insight in terms of podcasting more broadly, if I might just take a couple more minutes. In 
2019, there were over 800 podcasts in the podcast universe. In 2023, we now have over 5 million podcasts. But what is really interesting is that if you look at the number of episodes per show, we've gone from an average of 67 episodes per podcast show in 2019 to an average of about 14 episodes today. And so I think from that, you can infer two things. Number one, a lot of podcasts are actually failing or pod fading, uh, as I like to call it. But those that are successful are the ones that are really targeted and really focused and are often based on forming a community and by consistently putting out relevant content that is of value to that community. And I know, uh, Dolph, your podcast does that. There's certainly others in the nonprofit sector that does that. And I certainly seek to do that uh, with the Charity CO podcast. And also taking that a step further, um, one of the things I've recently done is launched a mastermind um, looking at challenges that sector leaders are, are facing and really having those in-depth, um, long-form conversations that seek to provide benefit to the sector more broadly. That's awesome. And Tivia, thank you so much for sharing that. And um, I also will say, like you, I often look at those stats and, and I realize that it's not that hard to start a podcast, but it's really, really hard to keep one going. And so unless, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, so, so unless people are committed to it, unless people are like, yeah, I'm passionate about this, it, it fades really quickly. Um, <laughs> and I love doing the podcast. You know, I get so inspired from speaking to, to leaders and getting to ask them questions and pick their brains. I, I find the whole process fascinating and I love it. Absolutely. And and I'll share that. I, I feel very much the same way where like, I'm often amazed that I get to read a book and then just talk to the author. I, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is for me. Isn't it is, great? <laughs> yeah. It's one of the biggest treats of having a podcast. Is I get to read a book. It could, you know, it could be like, you know, a bestseller. And and if I really like it, I can reach out. And oftentimes the author will say, sure. Yeah. I'm happy to come on your podcast. I'm always dumbfounded by that. Absolutely. Well, Dolph, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me on your show. Uh, I love chatting about podcasting, which is one of my, my favorite topics and about the, the charity and nonprofit sector more broadly as well. Thank you, Divya. And for my friends who are listening, let me just share with you, you know, at SuccessfulNonprofits.com, we are going to link to the Charity CEO podcast. We're also going to link to Divya's Mastermind. And my friends, if you liked this episode, if this is one that made you think like, yeah, my board needs to be thinking about transitions, or maybe you're a chief executive and you're like, yeah, you know, I, this seed has been germinating in me for a while. And I know that that my my months or years are numbered where I'm currently at. There are two other episodes I think that you're going to find incredibly helpful. The first is episode 212 with Monica Kant, the supportive board chair. And so in that episode, she actually talks about, hey, these are the things that a board chair who's genuinely supportive of the chief executive is going to do. And I will also say in those show notes, she allowed us to link to, gosh, I want to say it's probably like an eight or nine page email that she had written to a board chair who asked her, hey, you're my executive director. What can I do to be supportive? And she really, it, it's a beautiful email and it's well worth reading. That's episode 212. And then also consider episode 257, why you need an interim executive director with David Harris. We touched on this briefly, but you know, whether you're organization is about to say goodbye to a founding chief executive or your organization has just had a long time chief executive, you should really consider an interim executive director. So check out episode 257. 
That, my friends, is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help you and your nonprofit thrive. And, you know, the lawyers make me do a disclaimer every single time, and I'm tired of doing it, so now I try to do it in a more interesting way. Have you ever tried to use a hammer to cut bread? Well, let me tell you, that's like asking me to give you tax, legal, or accounting advice. It's not going to work. It's not what you want, because I'm not an accountant nor an attorney. All right, it's fun to imagine cutting bread with a hammer, but it's not very effective. If you're looking for the real deal, if you're looking for legal, tax, or accounting advice, please find a licensed professional and get the counsel you need.